Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening and welcome to the History of Germany podcast. I'm Travis Dow and today I have a special guest co-host, Pete Coleman. Hello, hello, Pete. Hello, Travis. Great to be here with you. Yeah, it's good to have you on the show. So this is, um, if, for those of you that don't listen to our other shows, like the History of Alchemy or Bohemican, Pete Coleman co-hosts those shows. And I asked him to join me on the History of Germany today because we are talking about the Frisians, of which Pete's ancestors were some. Exactly. And I'm very interested in being part of the show because I had a chance in early 2015 to take about a week or so to travel uh, all through Ostfriesland, um, near the seven islands or so, uh, not quite to the islands, but uh, around Ostfriesland from Aurich and uh, Strakholt and Firl, and uh, so these very small towns um, in the area, to get a feel about where my ancestors came from. Uh, and uh, it really was an amazing journey. So I'm extremely interested about this this particular topic. Yeah, and I and I don't know how you know how far people's general knowledge of Germans go, but um, Frisians. If, so Frisia, or where the Frisians kind of came from, is the on the coast. You know, on the on the North Sea coast of Germany, we're talking about really close to the Dutch border, that area, and then also on the Dutch side. So there's East Frisians and West Frisians, and the West Frisians are today in Holland, and the East Frisians are today in Germany. And the dialect that they speak today is like it's Platt Deutsch, a Platt of German or um, North Sea German kind of dialect. Low, and it's low Dutch, exactly. Yeah, exactly. A low German dialect is exactly what it is, and it's and it's um, not related to the ancient Frisians, the the people that gave us our name. And if you've never really heard of the Frisians, then well, you're 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 going to be pleasantly surprised. There's a, there's a lot of great stuff about them on this show. And one of them is, is that their, their old language is that they were not related to the Saxons and the Angles that were next to them. And there was even a lot of theories for a long time about the Frisians that came over to England along with the Angles and Saxons and that um, the Kentish dialect of, of, you know, southern England and Kent on, you know, coastal England really is, um, they believed that was, you know, more of a Frisian dialect than Saxon or Angle uh, that was a false theory, so that was eventually disproven. But you know, the the, the Frisians were did have an important uh, role in history and a really interesting one. So basically, the first time they really show up in history is already basically living really close to where we would find them now. So that you know, northern part of Germany, and after you know hundreds of years of slowly migrating south, and at that point we wouldn't call them Frisians. They might have been known as um, a subtribe of the Ingevones or, you know, kind of along the Saxons, alongside the Saxons, n- perhaps not related to the Saxons, though. And the Chalken, and that's what they're called in German, I'm not sure, but those those tribes. And Pliny the Elder, actually technically properly pronounced Pliny the Elder. Did you know that, Pete? 
I, I actually know that because we had him on, a, I think, a couple shows that we've done before. We've, we've, okay, mistaken. we've mentioned that before. I, I know we've mm-hmm. mentioned him for sure, yeah. When, you, when it comes to uh, alchemists or this or that, or, oh, yeah, he's come up before. Um, anyways, he's the first person to really mention your your precious Frisians in 12 <laughs> BC. And this was actually in the context of a battle. And in this context, the Frisians were Roman allies fighting other Germanic tribes. Can I interject here, Travis, and, and I, I want to make sure that this, this name is actually somewhat familiar. Pliny the Elder, um, and I believe it's about the same time as the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Mm-hmm. Pliny the Younger, right. his son, witnessed the explosion of Mount Vesuvius. Right. And uh, Pliny the Elder was actually, I think, stuck near Herculaneum, leading a group of military people and was vaporized yeah is that when he so, died yeah exactly. exactly so plenty of the younger if i'm not mistaken was was the one that documented the, he's the sheer one catastrophic event exactly he's like the best kind of first first uh, or primary source of, of vesuvius yeah 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 so oh yeah so that yeah that's good to put that in context so that's you know um plenty of the elder definitely mentions we've yeah, a lot of the first mentions of Germanic tribes that we have in written record are by Pliny the Elder. Like, he, he's written a bunch of stuff about world history at his time. A lot of it's not accurate, but it's it's the only thing we have in a lot of cases. Um, at least at least it was the only thing we had until some archaeological evidence. Um, but yeah, anyways, so um, the... Now, okay, Roman allies. <clears throat> but... Yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, so we are we we already see them enter the world stage as having a relationship with Rome. Like they're they're on the Roman border. They're actually pretty close to the territory that you know Caesar was invading and all that. So it's it's which I've talked about on previous episodes. One thing that is mentioned here is that the Frisians would pay tribute to the Romans, but the Romans, um, if you've seen, it's I think it's an extinct species now, but the old European cattle, they're almost like Texan Longhorns. And they're called, I'm not trying to pronounce them, it's like aurochs. Is that how they're, what they're called? You know what I'm talking about? I have about? no idea. <laughs> basically, basically picture, yeah, you'll see this in like medieval illustrations and even, you know, if a Roman Tapestries source. Tapestries or those type of things. Yeah, if a Roman yeah. source or early medieval days, if they mention cows or cattle, they're talking about these huge beasts, like way bigger than European cows now. And I think they're trying to rebreed them, you know, kind of. <clears throat> by cheating a little bit, recreate the the, uh, the species in like Belarusia or, you know, some place where the closest relatives live of these huge cow, but they're basically extinct. And now if you go to Europe, you see like Holstein cows and, you know, Angus beef and that kind of thing. Um, but in any case, <laughs> so long story short, the Roman demanded as tribute uh, pelts of these really huge aurochs uh, cattle, cows. And Frisian cows, they have, like, even smaller than modern cows, perhaps. They had really tiny cattle. And the Frisians just couldn't, you know, if 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 the Romans wanted 10 hides, then the Frisians could give them 10, 10 hides, but they would be tiny, so the, the Romans would want 15. And now we're talking a significant portion of the Frisians, you know, cattle stock. So what they would have to do is they would have to, they would end up basically selling their women and children to slavery, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So the Frisians, so we see them enter the world stage at, you know, kind of a disadvantage already, you know, really rock bottom, you know, selling their women and children. It doesn't get much worse than that. It's, it's similar how I introduced the goths, we're, oddly well, enough, it, you know. It's because you're selling your future. I mean, that, that, that's what yeah. it comes down to. You, you're, you're bartering away your future as a people. 
You know, which they really didn't just willingly do without a grudge, Travis. You know, and crucified the next Romans that that came by to collect the tribute. Uh, there was a growing sense of angst that was coming through between the Romans and the Frisians, and so the Frisians into this world stage, as you said, uh, was a chip on their yeah, shoulder. That's right? crucifying <laughs> Romans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, Germans may uh, know them from uh, pop culture, or at least if you might see them as 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 old as maybe you and I are, right. Travis, from the the German comedian Otto and the whole um, Otto Fatten uh, cartoon and comics. Now, I'm not too familiar with that, Travis, but you grew up in Munich. And this yeah, is see, something that you grew up with. Is that correct? So you don't you don't know this, but I've actually made Ottifanten references to you, and you just you know won't trade over, over your my head. head. <laughs> but um, because every time you mention Frisians, this is what I think of actually as a as an '80s kid, I should say, in growing growing up in Germany, is Otto. I don't. I didn't even look up his last name. If I say Otto to German to my German listeners, they'll know exactly who they I know, mean. Exactly. If yeah. I say Ottifanten, they if they're my age or older, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And um, he was this comedian in the 80s, and he made a, a he was a Sandra comedian, basically. But then he made these comics that turned into cartoons of these elephants that because his name is Otto, they were Ottofants. OK, and these also these Ottofanten and they would, you know, they were cute and you, know, you could buy Valentine's cards and birthday cards and Christmas cards. And it was a thing. You know, It was a thing in the 80s. There was a team. There was Alf and there was Ottofanten. OK, and the Cosby <laughs> show. Yeah. OK, so that, gotcha. you know. Hasselhoff, Knight Rider, you know, th- that was Germany in the 80s and Altifanten. So, yeah, so the, so this is, so it was a huge phenomenon. This guy actually made some movies. One of them is um, Otto Goes to America, where he ends up going to Florida to try and save some, a lot of it's about um, saving some East Frisian landmark or the East Frisian landscape itself. Like at one point they wanted to build a huge, um, like bullet train right through the countryside and it, you know, the model destroyed the, the beautiful landscape and crushed his, I think he was in a lighthouse or something. I'm going off of like 20 year old memories here. I haven't rewatched them any, you know, recently at all. Um, but he was like, you know, his lighthouse got tipped over and he's like, I must go to America and save East Frisia. Um, well, yeah, well, here, here's the thing. Otto Fonten is, it, it, it brings a, I would say probably a very negative stereotype <laughs> to the, to the Frisian uh, background they, of this. I, this and this is something like a tongue-in-cheek sort of uh, cow tipping sort of uh, yeah. for those of us in America listening, um, it would be what people would say to, about West Virginians and Appalachians. Yes, in, in because, a lot of ways. Yeah, very much because they he right. uh, a big the, this a big central role of his comedy, whether it was stand up or anything, was I mean, he did funny voices. Okay, that was actually really the he did funny voices, um, but his East Frisian dialect was one that all Germans recognize and it east- it instantly speaks of them of their shitty summer vacation where they went to northern Germany <laughs> instead of Italy yeah, and they yeah. regretted that but they're there <laughs> and it's raining and but they're at the beach and and you know all the locals are talking funny and the way that they were talking was like this guy and so they all know it you know Everybody's been there. Everybody's been to the islands. I, you know, we took a class trip from Bavaria there when I was a kid um, to East Frisia, and what, we walked to one of the islands and everything. You know, when the tide what, goes what, out, like it, you can exactly. Walk really far, Maybe so. we should give an idea to our listeners and are familiar with that. There, there are seven islands. Is that right? Seven islands um, that are on the coast, yeah. and they kind of dot outside. They're just like the, if you can imagine, like the Outer Banks in North Carolina, that sort of feel. Now. Um, when the tide does go out, like you were mentioning, Travis, you can actually walk 
out to the islands. However, to some of them, yeah, 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 to some of them. And the deal is, is that you need to be sure that you're going to stay there, or you're going to walk your butt back because you will be swept yeah. out to sea we, if you don't get back in time. Yeah. So you definitely don't don't try this on your own. We had a guide. Absolutely, do not do this on your own. People do die. Definitely. Because uh, we had a guide that knows, okay, the tide is going out. Now's the time. And you can be trapped out in the middle as soon as the tide starts to come back in because you, the, these little streams start to get bigger and bigger. So you're just on an island and then suddenly you're, you know, you're, you can no. be a mile out, <laughs> out to sea. Yeah. The, um, the, the tide goes out, to give you perspective, the tide goes out three kilometers, about two miles. So we, you know, we walked a mile and a half or two miles to the island. So yeah, if the tide comes in and you're caught out in it, you're in, you're a mile out to sea. <laughs> so yeah, be warned, but it's, it's great fun. And we basically walked to an island and then waited for the tide to come in and took a boat back. So, um, well, you know, it, to, to give you a perspective, uh, about what the landscape is like out there, it, you, you kind of, it's flat. Dikes. It reminds me a lot of <laughs> Illinois where my Coleman's wind up settling, but Illinois meets um, maybe the Florida Everglades <laughs> without the heat. Um, it's, it, it has its, its a very um, uh, soggy sort of conditions, those type of things. And when you say that people kind of settle for going there on vacations, if you're from Germany, yeah, you can see that. I think nowadays that they're, they're trying to really promote that as a way to getting out there and enjoying nature and bike trails and wonderful things like that. You really can't compare it to taking a trip to Croatia. Okay. It's not the same thing. Um, but, uh, uh, it is a nice place for recreation, but it is very bucolic. Uh, there are several windmills that still in existence there to give you kind of mm -hmm. a Dutch feel. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, you know there are a lot of dikes there that that um, were there that are considered ancient dikes. And one thing that I realized when I was there that was just amazing was they did them wrong at the first. They they didn't make them zigzag like they're supposed to. They made them you know yeah. perpendicular parallel. They learned as and they, they just went. fell yeah. apart. Exactly. Yeah. So, and one one of the coolest stories about, and I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but this I think is really neat, was that you could farm as a colonist these areas that would flood, but you were in charge of that part of the dike. Right. That was your yep. responsibility. Now, if for some reason you couldn't make things grow and you just said, I can't live on this land anymore, what you did is you took your shovel and you plopped it right on the top of the dike and you walked away. No harm, no foul. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the next guy could just pick up, if you even left your house there, pick up, if you picked up that shovel, he's, that's, he's, yeah. he's the owner. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so um, it was hard living. And you know, I'm talking all the way up into the very late 19th century. This is how things go. And um, uh, you can see in a lot of ways that uh, people from Frankfurt or, or Saxony or you, know, you, you can name it in Germany or Berlin – um, that they would look very differently on the Frisians because they were not really quite the same Germans as, as you would think. Yeah. You know, they were kind of different folk. And interestingly, even genetically, that's I, so that was kind of new to me. I just read that a couple of years ago, is that they're even different than their neighbors because they're a totally different West Germanic branch. So now their original dialect is totally dead. They just speak Platt German like everybody else in the area. Um, but they didn't... Uh, yeah, but they're, but they're still... You know, they're still like genetically, they're still their own Western dramatic um, kind of, you know, they got their have their own DNA, which is which is interesting. All right. So Travis Frisians don't play a major role in the world stage as any kind of mighty empires, you might say. But they hang they hang in there just long enough. Right. Yeah. So they, they 
hold on to who they are as, as a group of people. And you can find Frisians exactly around the area where the Romans first found them themselves. And they also went on uh, raiding, and they, they it's assumed that they uh, uh, went with the Angles and the Saxons and their neighbors, which would make sense because they were so close to the ocean and the North Sea and in the backyard of what we consider most Viking or, you know, Angles or Saxons. So, um, you know, what is likely is that this population had a dip in the 5th century uh, when they started to come back just in time to be conquered by the Franks. So before the 5th century, the Utes, and I'm kind of thinking about my cousin Vinny right now. <laughs> two, two Utes? What are two Utes? What are two Utes? <laughs> okay, if you don't know what I mean, we'll just move on. Uh, the, the Utes actually didn't uh, migrate straight from the Jutland um, over to the North Sea. So if you look at the map, it is actually that the Frisians, uh, who were the closest to the British Isles, um, uh, really had that kind of connection. And and you might see some of the, you talked about the genetics, there's some of those genetic traits are shared between that short area that, that uh, can be jumped over the, the North Sea. And the, the Utes actually came uh, through the Frisian land, not so, they're not so friendly terms, by the way, uh, to get to the channel and cross the water more safely than to Britain. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, in the sixth and seventh centuries, the Frisians spread out as south as Bruges, uh, that's just you know, very close to Brussels, uh, so to speak, and and onto the uh, the Vesa. Yep. In seven thirty four, the western part is conquered by Karl Martel. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm going to talk about the Franks obviously in a future episode, and I'll talk about Karl Karl Martel and all that. So they get, I mean, I guess the, the, the point here is they get conquered very early on. Um, the, the Franks would deal with the Saxons much later, and even the Lombards, that would be like, you know, Charlemagne's time. So, but yeah, the Frisians kind of get swept up. You know, so Travis, we mentioned Karl Martel, or Charles Martel the Hammer, all right? And why is he important to the Franks? Because he is the grandfather, am I mistaken, of Charlemagne, who yeah. basically is the guy that brought all of Europe out of the Dark Ages, so to speak. And uh, um, so there's a giant connection that the Frisians have to the Franks during the um, Charlemagne expansion that would later on follow. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, bef- yeah, before Charlemagne conquers them is when Frisians would have their biggest borders. Like you said, from Bruges to the Vaser, this would kind of be known as Frisia Magna or like Greater Frisia. It was like the, the greatest extent of Frisia's borders. And then, yeah, Karl Martel started whittling them down. Uh, the Saxons joined in to get a piece. Um, and then, yeah, by Charlemagne's time, Charlemagne took over the rest. And in in Charlemagne's time is when the Frisians get their oldest law that, you know, at least their oldest written law, I should say, because there, there was probably tribal rules and law and cultural norms before this. But um, in 785... Uh, when Charlemagne conquers the rest, shortly after that date, we have the Lex Frisoronum, like basically the law of the Frisians. And this is really cool. Um, I mentioned other, like the the Lex Burgundium and, you know, some of those other ones that are, that are really important. Uh, I'll mention the Lombard law also. Oh yeah. So it's in this time when we, when we first see them writing down their laws and um, this, this, these laws would be very strong, actually, like Germanic law would be like the kings and emperors wouldn't even be exempt. And this is, you know, this becomes important later in the Holy Roman Empire. So anyways, um, yeah, so to get back to the Frisians and to get back to the 8th century, um, the Frisians would really prosper as a people. And they moved into like the northern Frisian islands, which, you know, you mentioned, and then even some area right off the Danish coast. 
And those would actually kind of like a colony. They would they would live under the Danish king, but as Frisian people. And then, you know, in this time, the Frisians, this is kind of the time when the, the Frisians were Christianized, just like this, the Saxons and some other tribes. When the Franks conquered everybody, they forced Christianity upon them, basically. They, they made everybody uh, convert. And I'll talk more about that when I talk about the Saxons. I have some specific examples and um, what the process looked like and everything. And it's, so I'm going to jump over it now is my point. Uh, but that, that all happened in the next hundred years in the ninth century. And they started to spread out outside of the Frankish realm, like I said, like to, towards Denmark, towards today's Schleswig in, in northern Germany, kind of towards the east of their core region. And, um, you know, spreading and mixing their dialect with the local German dialects that, you know, there might be some evidence of that still today. By the way, b- before I move on from dialects altogether, I just wanted to mention, in case you're wondering, the Frisian dialect is the North Sea Germanic branch of the West Germanic languages. And in German, that's actually way cooler because I can't make fun of this in the German version. So I'm, I just have to say this with a straight face. But this is two words, folks. Die Nordsee Germanische Zweig Westgermanischer Sprachen. Uh, three words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's kind of like it's it's um, to put that into context of what else belongs in that group. We're looking at old nether German, old, you know, old low German, basically old English is that branch in case you were wondering. So the North Sea Germanic branch of the West Germanic languages, old English is one of them. Uh, Same as Saxon and Utes and Angles, you know, that kind of combined made old English. So with with absolutely some Frisian, um, you know, influence, people just don't know how strong of one, but definitely a Frisian influence. Well, you, it, you, you hear that, you hear it, Travis, you know, one of the greetings that you hear in East Frisia is Moin Moin. Um, yeah. When you see somebody, it sounds almost like morning, morning. Uh, but Moin Moin uh, yeah. is, is what everybody says. It's not, you know, Guten Tag. It's, it's Moin Moin. And it, you talk about the differences between, you know, these regionalities here. And if you if you listen to some of the, when I was listening to some of the Frisian or the Platt Deutsch, uh, you almost catch it for a minute. You're going, oh my, was that English? No. What? Yeah, kind of. Exactly. <laughs> it, it throws you off. I have that bit. feeling with Dutch because I speak English and German. Dutch is like really weird because it's, um, I can... Yeah, I can almost understand it. It's it's I can read it pretty well. It's hard for me to understand sometimes just because the pronunciation is is it is different. But it's a mix of English and German in a way that I'm like it's just like what what is that? Yeah, it's really confusing because it's so close and yet different. So, um, but yeah, okay, let's let's drop languages. I want to talk about this uh, Frisian freedom freedom. And uh, I know I know you you looked this up, so I'll let you take it. This is this is this right here is the best part of the podcast. This is this is because you know j- just because under the Franks, while all the Franks, I mean the Franks are basically responsible to for the for the later medieval feudal system. Period. The way that um, you had fealty to a lord, and he you know owed something tribute and taxes and men to a duke or a count or whatever, and then you know up up the chain to the king. That was that was very Frankish, even more so than Roman or anybody else. It, it, the Frankish spin on that is what became the European model. But the Frisians, you know, would have none of it basically, and they wouldn't. They wouldn't. And in, in on my podcast. Uh, on the Bohemian podcast, we talk about the Czech people 
trying to, especially at the turn of the 20th century, from the 19th to the 20th century, trying to gain about who they were as a culture, trying to reinvent their language or and bring it back from the dead. So it wasn't German, it was it was Czech. Um, and, and their culture as well that was basically you know suppressed for several hundred years by the Habsburgs. I want you to think about this for a minute with the Frisians. There's a saying at the end of the 19th century that goes back to their their hope to regain what it meant to be Frisian. Mm-hmm. They try to reinstitute going into the 20th century. And one of the one of the sayings, and I I, I will butcher the German, so I'm not going to say it in German, but it's it's hail to the free Frisians, better dead than a slave. All right. Yeah. So so this is talks about that inherent freedom that they had coursing through their Frisian blood and their veins, you know. So yep. this story is just plain awesome. I mean, uh, you know, either a, sp- a special right was granted to the Frisian by Charles the Great, as we talked about, or uh, the Frisians just made this up themselves, which makes it even better of a story. Yeah. Uh, but the story, the story kind of goes <laughs> if like you this. you think about that, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but Charlemagne, Charles the Great, granted the Frisians the right to have no lord over them except the emperor himself. And this was in stark contrast to the rest of the Frankish Empire that was ruled very heavily, okay? Yeah. Um, uh, the Frankish Empire as a whole is basically uh, what gave us the medieval feudal system that we talked about. And the Franks will have their own show, as it, as it already is written. Um, so we don't really want to worry about that right now. But, but uh, basically, starting with the early Frankish kings, the, they, um, they had a method of tribute, yeah. recruiting fighting men. Taxation became those that are very familiar to medieval um, cliches that we run into, but not for the Frisians. They had a special sort of deal, all right? The Frisians, for one, did not welcome their Frankish overlords very well, okay? Um, they were stubborn. They, they liked their freedom. Uh, according to the Frisian legend of um, uh, Libra Friso, which means free Frisian, this is, uh, and, and his compatriots, uh, that had come back in the 9th century, victorious from Italy, back to their homes on the North Sea. In Rome, the Frisians had triumphed completely and unexpectedly in the name of their king, Charles. Not yet the Great, not yeah, Magna. Right. Okay, yeah. we don't, we, He hasn't gotten to that point yet. All right? He wasn't even named an 800 um, you know, Holy Roman Emperor. That hasn't happened mm-hmm. just yet. Right. The king was ecstatic. He had rewarded and gifted his brave Frisian warriors with the highest reward, freedom. This version of the story we owe to the to the time of Carl the Fat or or Carl the Third of the East Frankish Empire, uh, which is the direct predecessor of Germany. In fact, it may have been Charles the Fat who gave the Frisians this freedom after they helped him to beat the Normans, which were the Vikings as we know today. And he had just made up this story to make it even more honorable to kind of give him some gravitas uh, about why right. he did this. Yeah, okay? right. Politics, yeah. man. Politics. Uh-huh. Um, and this is a politics is local, right? <laughs> so, um, but but the Frisians took this right very seriously. They didn't take it as some kind of political sort of maneuver. Nobility just could not get a grip on the Frisians. Uh, while the Frisians often had the help from their Frankish uh, Frankish kings in defending against the Vikings, the Frisians also had the help themselves. Uh, so instead of relying on a Frankish lord for protection, like what happened for most of the Frankish Empire, instead the Frisians started around in around the year 800 to choose their own leaders among the farmers. Okay, a very um, you know agriculturally based society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is really cool. So they they started to I guess just because they were all farmers, they were all basically egalitarian. And and you know what? Like if you think about the landscape, it's so flat. It's not like anybody lived on a hill. 
and, you know, could defend easier than anybody else. No, they all lived on these floodplains, you know, behind dikes. And and, and that's the thing. If you go through this town, if you go through this landscape, um, you will see um, beautiful areas of a rape seed um, growing, you know, uh, which is, I guess, considered canola oil. You know, we get yeah. canola oil from in the States. Uh, beautiful, bright yellow fields and bright green, you know, wheat. They, mm-hmm. they, it's, it's an amazing place in that sense. But, man, it is flat, except if you do see how, uh, hills, especially where churches were built. Right. Um, yeah. It's man-made. That yep. is a, all, it's all man-made. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist in nature there. Yep. So, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just amazingly flat. So, I mean, yeah, the fact that the tide goes out two miles should really paint a picture. Yeah, so the way this evolved was these were all like really, really egalitarian farmers, okay? And then they would vote for a councilman. They would call it a redieve, which um, now the Latinized Franks, who were, you know, pretending to be Romans, basically, they would have called this man a consul, okay? So in in a sense, the... Um, Frisians would of a certain community of of a of an area of a farmer community they would get together and and you know vote for their councilman that's that's a good way to say it in English but the the modern I mean so in German um, this even makes sense like German uh, the modern word for redieve if I said that right would be ratgeber as in council giver so yeah like a councilman you know board uh, an advice giver advice giver is really what it means. So not someone that rules by any any means, but someone that you come to with your complaints, and he's more like a judge where he will give you advice, and you can take it or leave it, you know, but that's what the redieve says, and, you know, maybe they'll all agree, maybe not, um, but not a lord. You don't pay tribute. You don't pay taxes. You don't give him men for the for the army or to for defense. None of that. You defend yourselves as a community. So, I mean, and this really, like over the centuries, this kind of changed because it, it lasted until the 14th century or uh, sometimes even, you know, as you mentioned, the idea itself never died. You know, it, it sparked up again the 19th century. But anyway, over the, the centuries, these councilmen and all other public officials would be elected by the population. Well, all of them, uh, well, just the men, of course, uh, I guess, having an equal vote, and for for one-year terms. So you have term limits, which is something Mm -hmm. that I think is something that we all actually like to talk more about in our our current political status, right? Um, But uh, these councilmen would would then get together and discuss agreements on trade and defense, etc. This place is where they met. I really really wouldn't call it a capital, but their capital uh, had a great name of Upstalabum. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Upstelboom. Okay. Upstelboom. Okay. It's it's a little it's a little tiny village near Aurich is is um And Aurich is, is a major seat now yeah, in, you've, in Ostfriesland. Yeah, I think have you yeah. been to Aurich? I have been. It's, it's actually a beautiful little town, but that's where their main archives for yeah, that region okay. is located. And Aurich was uh if I'm not mistaken, was pretty was bombed very heavily during oh, World okay. War Two. Yeah. So, you know, like, a lot to, of these places Today yeah. I know it's like Aurich is one center and Lea is another center that people might have heard of, you know. Lea Lea is a is a is if you can imagine is a very gentrified area. Uh, that's been around for a very long time, uh, but it's a very picturesque sort of um, uh, Ostfriesland sort of a town um, yeah. that is, is really cleaned up quite well. Auric is more of a, a business community and has a, ni- a lot of nice places as well and, and some very interesting um, Frisian museums. So that would be a place to go mm-hmm. see information about what it means to be Frisian. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So, so Upstallboom, how do you, how do you feel about that name? Is that, That's is a great that, name. Is that just like the best capital ever? <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs> From Upstallboom, West Frisia or East Frisia. Oh man, yeah, that's 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 actually a good example of kind of Dutch or Frisian names, Upstalboom. So yeah, and at the height of their of this kind of Frisian freedom, basically in the let's say 13th and 14th centuries, is kind of when this um, became the strongest, was the biggest political entity, when this you know form of government worked, had the biggest power, I would say. Um, at this time, they had up to like around 27 communities that each had their elected red vey. And then, of course, they would all meet in Upstalboom <laughs> every year and, you know, decide these important matters like defense and, and whatnot. But eventually, um, the area went through a couple of troubled generations, like there was famine and or war and and um, that sort of thing. And this this actually happens to the area now and then, like even including the history of why Frisians came to America. But here in the 14th century, um, it was it, it was it lasted for quite a while. There was a time of famine, and then the, the Frisians just basically weren't doing so well, and they started to lose their egalitarian culture because the Red Vayas started to tend to come from families. You know, they're just certain families ended up being richer than others, and they ended up being the Red Vayas more often than not, and that kind of increased the cycle of them becoming even richer. And just basically in this time of famine, the Red Vayas didn't go, at, or the families of these uh, council givers did not go as hungry as the other population. So we see a shift from, you know, everything being egalitarian to actually having a sort of nobility class. There were some families that were just well, you know, more well-to-do than others. And we we even see a change in the in the name from Red Veya, which means council giver, to the model, the modern title of Hovetling, which they still, it's, it's still a, a noble, you know, a noble title in, in Dutch, I guess. Um, and the, 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 the modern German equivalent would be Häuptling, which really means chieftain. Um, so from council giver to chieftain, okay, that, that really should tell you something. Like now it is a person that has something to say. He has uh, commands to give and people to, you know, people follow him. So it's it's different. So we see the, this shift in mentality as this noble class does end up uh, actually developing. Yeah. And so and then we basically see feudalism taking over as as anywhere else. Um, that ended, you know, that was the end of the Frisian freedom as as an as a reality. Uh, then it still became an idea. But there's, <clears throat> yeah, there's okay, and there, there's another sign of the Frisian freedom and a sign that it was coming to an end, and that is that the Frisians made fun of knights. They hated castles. We'll, we'll get into this for a second. Um, but that's that's all about to change too. But there's one other interesting tidbit of, of you know trivia you might have not known. And that is that, you know, everybody knows the country New Zealand, right? But have you ever, so does that ever make you ask the question, where is old Zealand? Um, it never does. It never does. You just you just don't care. You're like, <laughs> I no. Take it for I, what it is, face value. It's a new. A new. <laughs> it's just it's just New Zealand. It's just New it's Zealand. It's like Nova Scotia. I is like it's just there. <laughs> yeah, but that's but ah, oh, New Caledonia. Okay. New Caledonia. So, uh, so anyways, so <laughs> New York. Okay, New York. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I've never actually heard of York. I don't think it's a real place. Oh, I mean, yeah. frankly, <laughs> I mean, come on. A lot of people in England right now are very angry with you. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, so yeah, I, I love those uh, Yorkshire folks. 
if you were wondering about Old Zealand, this also comes from the Frisians. At during the the, the uh, Frisian freedom, there was also something known as the Seven Frisian Sealands, and Sealand is. It's still one of the of the Netherlands, basically. It's it's in Holland now. But anyways, there was the seven Frisian Zealands, or just the seven Zealands, basically. And yeah, Zealand, even spelled with a Z, is still one of the Netherlands, basically. So you know, if you're ever wondering where that was, it's in it's in Holland or it's in uh, the Netherlands. Um, but yeah, so you know, in this time, they 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 were reliant on self defense. They were reliant on self defense in the Roman times. The you know, in Charlemagne's times, they were basically a coastal guard against the Vikings, like you said. Um, but not you know, weren't really a, a big a factor, a big fighting force. But yeah, I mean, so this this egalitarian society, this self this reliance on self defense, really gave them the knight. You know, the symbol of a knight as a hated symbol, like something to be vilified. Like if a knight strolled through town, you know, people would just be giving them dirty looks, I'm sure. Like Friesen's just just hated that. And this is a really interesting thing I came across, and I only came across it in German, so I'm going to translate as I go here. But there, I came across an old um, law uh, that is a part of the law called as the Brockma-Recht, the Brockma-Right, and this is a law I found that is against castles because, yeah, I, did you know this? Like, they took this no. seriously. Did so they actually, this. so if, if you were rich enough that you could say as a merchant or as a, you know, very successful land-owning farmer, let's say, with a big family, um, you could, let's say you could afford a castle. Well, you might want to rethink that. So... Um, here they're, they're talking about burg, like a fortress, um, basically. So they're, they're defining what a burg, a burg, you know, the term burg, right? Like a fortress kind of, but it means it's not a one-to-one translation, but like Hamburg, Salzburg. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So if you're thinking like, I'm going to build myself Kolmenberg, think twice because the Brookman, uh, passed the following law that no one, can build uh, bergs or fortresses or walls or high stone houses under the penalty of eight marks. Okay. And if the stone house is higher than 12 Rutenfuss, I have no idea <laughs> what, what, what that, metric is that. I have no idea. <laughs> um, it's some side of foot. So it could be, but it's clearly longer than a foot. I would get, I guess like a yard or more, but if it's, so let's say, so 12, you know, let's say it's like two or three stories, something like that. Um, I'm not, I, I really, I don't know. So if you build a stone house higher than three stories, let's say, and, and, or a basement that is two stories deep. Uh, oh, and, and I think that's interesting because that might imply a dungeon. I, I don't know, you know, like as opposed to just a cellar, it's a defendable thing or somewhere where you could keep a prisoner. I, I don't know where the what the logic is. Maybe. But yeah. in that case, um, again, you, you will be penalized eight marks. And now, and this is paragraph 150, if someone wanted to look it up. Uh, but, but, but eight marks, I guess, must have been a fortune to really, for, for a wealthy nobleman to be like, eight marks, so I guess I'm not building a burg then. You know what I mean? Like I used to, I mean, cigarettes used to cost eight marks. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, it must have been a lot of money at that time is what I'm saying. 
So yeah, no no high stone walls or houses, no basements that were deeper than two floors, maybe because of dungeons or maybe because you could actually defend this, I don't know. Um, and no stone houses over 12 rutin feet, um, whatever that means. So yeah, so you're being charged, um, I don't know what the exchange rate was, but um, yeah, the, I mean, so the last the last exchange rate that I remember was two marks to a dollar. So I'm sure it was different than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, so eventually they did need these laws because just naturally they were less and less egalitarian. You know, they just, some people became richer than others. So I, I came well, across you know, that law. You, you and can, you can to see that from, from the Frisians that kind of, um, that I can at least trace my ancestry to, to uh, the 1700s and the 1800s. There was this, you know, lack of, of ostentatiousness. I mean, I, if that's a word, I, you know, they, they just, uh, um, you know, they, they were people that, yeah. And this this also goes there. There were later on in the the 18th century, there were these sh- amazing chateaus and money and landowners. And so it did it did we'll, flip eventually. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll get but, to that. But 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 the people were were very kind of down to earth folk when it comes to certain things. And you saw that in their Lutheran backgrounds, um, they you know they were kind of hard hard folks. They they like to do some. Fun things on occasion, and they followed certain festivals during the course of the year. But um, when it came to, uh, you know, trying to fall into line under under the yoke of something like the Catholic Church, or um, you know, some kind of potentate or or land land owner or in a feudal system, they had none of it. They wanted none of it. Yeah. No, that's yeah. I think that that stays that 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 part stayed in their culture forever. You know, you don't you don't have a lot more than you need, and you don't need to have a lot more than your neighbors and and so forth, you know. Yeah, okay, what I was going to say was, yeah, but there there, there was a way around this law that they found um, because, well, yeah, I'll let you, I mean, you you, you research it, I'll let you, you okay. you know, what it, what was this loophole? Because they did, they did kind of skirt this law eventually. And so, Travis, they would build a stone house as big as they could get away with under the, under this sort of law, and, and they could often afford a much bigger place, of course, but yet they would not live in these houses at this time. They would just still live in their farms and on their land and very live very modestly. But you would see these, you know, bigger bigger homes. And, and so we see some cities with up to five of these big family houses, each one um, competing with the other Joneses in the neighborhood, neighborhood so to speak. Um, and eventually these turned into stone towers uh, right at an important marketplace or harbors um, as the landholders would begin to live uh, in them, you know. Um, so, and, and because of the aforementioned catastrophes, the owners of these domestic stone towers and the disparity between the regular farmers and these families started to grow. Uh, so very interesting stuff. So the heads of these richest of the families would start calling themselves Hovislinga, uh, which is basically these consuls, right? You know, these chieftains. Yeah. Okay? Now they're more chieftains instead of like council givers. It's, right. Like there's right. a, yeah, there's a difference. Like I think, you know, if you're speaking to a councilman, that's different than if you're speaking to the chieftain. Like everybody knows, okay, this guy's in charge. Yeah, it's a, it's a different message. It's no longer that egalitarian, you know, it's, it's changing for sure. So and you see, Travis, these chieftains started kind of flexing their muscles again, and you start seeing the feudal society kind of creep back into what is very common through most of, of the Germanic lands and most of Europe. Um, so you see that there's something lost here from the from the ancient sort of uh, Frisians are free sort of mentality uh, and the austerity that they once had. Um, they would fall into line, 
you know, like everybody else, and there would be landowners and landlords and people that would toil their lives away without any really chance to kind of yeah. move up that ladder. Yeah. In fact, yeah, in these tough times, I came across another story that I thought was really interesting. Because um, I, I love the history of, of pirates. And there's also a podcast out there, by the way. But we start to see Frisians doing a little bit of piracy of their own because it's, it is really tough times for a couple of generations. And one trick they use, because what if you're so poor that you can't even afford a boat, okay? What they would do is they would use lights on beaches, because again, it's very, very flat land, so it's very easy to get beached if you're not coming into a proper harbor. So they would use lights to create the illusion of a lighthouse and, uh, you know, causing merchant ships to beach, and then they just wait for the tide to go out the rest of the way and <laughs> plunder the ships <laughs> okay, from makes land. Sense. Yeah, so I was like, when I read that, I'm like, oh my god, that's that's so simple and yet so brilliant. Um, so that that did happen, and then these they would also this would also be one of the methods of attacking their neighbors. So they would even you know in a, in a foggy day trick their their neighbors who know that who know the area very well. And this was just you know one facet of this sort of you know medieval tribal warfare that was going well, on. Well, and Travis, you you talk about a group of people here that um, are able to make nature bend to their needs as the years and the centuries roll on. Um, you know these folks would would make canals. They would make these man-made canals to get from one place to the other so when the you know this flooded sort of water logged area they would use these small sort of craft uh rafts if you will you know on a sticks to kind of move themselves down these canals that you would see in, in a lot of other places for trade and for transportation because you really couldn't make a road that would be waterlogged eventually they would make these low these roads corduroy roads where they would just take down the trees and basically you know put them at, at, at substantial mm -hmm. so they couldn't get washed away and they would still use that yet the canals were a main source yeah. of transportation all the way through the 20th century when it would freeze and it doesn't freeze much anymore up there but when it would freeze they would just basically use these kind of like ice skates and sleds that's, and be able to go from point. place to yeah. place that, that's actually a good point to call out uh, on the show is that if people haven't been to like holland or or northern belgium and those areas um yeah like the canals basically every town and city just think venice seriously yeah. like even amsterdam you know there's yep. a street and then the next street will be a canal and then there's a street and the next street will be a canal so you can get around by boat as well just as well as you could by car in fact you know the streets are congested so um, but you could get around by boat as well as you could by on foot or by bicycle like boat is just one more way to get from point a to point b anywhere downtown in any of those villages and towns like it's just you know bruges is is you know you can take a boat taxi you can take boat tours um all, yeah it's just crazy like it's 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 absolutely that's a really good point to make i'm glad you brought that up yeah, and, and the Frisians, you know, they were very based in, in, in agriculture. There's a Frisian horse that's, you know, a type of horse that is known for these folk, these folks uh, yes. breeding there as well. Um, they, if you go to uh, Ostfriesland today, you would see, you might see cows, you know, they're black and white cows and they're, you know, kind of known for their, for their, for their uh, agriculture in that sense of raising these cows. But the cows wouldn't be on the marshy area because they're too heavy. They would sink into you know to yeah. the knees you see a lot so of sheep a lot you see of sheep. a lot of sheep and the sheep <laughs> you know just graze they graze you see a lot of sheep and they're you know they're beautiful up there you know and, and those type of things so their, their animal husbandry was was something that they they knew how to do uh another thing that was amazing was they they knew how to live in these conditions that people would say i don't want anything of it reclamated land 
you know, they would go out and say, we're going to do uh, peat farming. And that was something that was done for hundreds of years of, of going out and, and um, you know, taking the, the sludge that you would have underneath the, these yep. tides and, and packing it into bricks, firing it, and using it as fuel. In fact, you know? yeah, you might not um, realize this, but many, many of the canals are actually due to a direct result, like a side effect of peat farming because yeah. um, the canals, you know, you would, they would have this in mind. They would dig the peat out along a certain trench and that, and then it would automatically, you know, flood with water. And peat is a very, it's kind of like clay. It's very firm, which means the side of sides of the canals would stay put and everything and, you know, collapse a little bit over the years. Um, but for centuries, like they're still there. Those, those, you know, someone dug out the peat and, um, you know, it, well, it's it's part of the sea life. I mean, and you yeah. see people that that deal with fishing even, industries, even, and yep. it's it's just part of life there. It's it's uh, it's almost akin to what you would see in, in North America in Maine, where people live along the coast it's, and uh, they they live off the sea. Yeah, it's all a big system because then even so the dikes are not wasted land either because, you know, the sheep can graze on that steep incline. So the dikes are not wasted, you know, because you can't farm on it. It is too steep to farm on. But OK, so that's where you have your sheep. And then um, the dikes aren't enough there. The, the, it would still flood. So what you need is pumps. And medieval water pumps, well, that's what those windmills are. Because because it's so flat, you get a good, cons you know, constant, consistent wind, uh, you know, velocity, whatever, um, pressure. So you can build windmills like crazy. And that's what they did. And once you have windmills, well, with windmills, they don't just f pump water. They also, you know, you can hook them up to a... Um, millstone you can uh, hook them up to a sawmill you can you know hook them up to all kinds of stuff that just you know get the economy going and uh, you know and then later later in life uh later in life later in history we see belgian towns you know doing exactly that they were at the forefront of you know these weaving towns and and tap you know creating the uh cloth spinning cloth and then weaving it and and you know that that just that that came way before um, to some degree before the industrial revolution, because the, you know, they had these mills already. They had these machines that, you know, didn't, they were running on, on wind power that, you know, they just hook it up and say, oh yeah, we have, you know, off we go instead of horses, instead of, you know, many other technologies that the rest of Europe was reliant upon. So because of that, they could afford to not have castles and to not have knights. And, you know, so it's, it's just, it's a really interesting culture if you think about it. And, um, I will, I will come back to the history of the Dutch in general, but um, I will revert back to this episode a lot when I do so. So that's why I wanted to kind of set the foundation there, and we won't be coming back to the Frisians themselves anytime soon because we'll we have to talk about the Saxons and Franks and all those. Yeah, there's, guys a, there's first. a lot I'm sure on your list. Yeah, isn't I got there? Habsburg. Is... One thing. Uh, so the Frisians started to um, get in conflict towards the very end when I mentioned this piracy part. Um, they started to come in contact, contact with the Hansa cities and the Hansa cities. I have two books on them already. Uh, they're, they're not for another 10 podcasts, but I love the history of the Hansa towns. We're talking like Hamburg, Lübeck, uh, Bremen. And then, um, they had a presence in the UK, in Sweden, Denmark, uh, you name it. Um, Venice, by the way, <laughs> you know, so they, they went and it was actually, it was a way to compete with some of the Mediterranean powerhouse and a way to get, um, goods from Venice to the, all the way to the Baltic and the North Sea. So I'm jumping way ahead. We're, that, that's like later medieval, you know, Renaissance times, basically. Um, but it was, you know, the Frisians, because of their piracy, 
they kind of got the wrong attention. So, and, and they, and so at the end of their, um, you know, well, not at the end of their history, but at, at the end of this, um, you know, downturn at the end of the Frisian freedom and the beginning of just feudalism proper, they do come across with, uh, 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 they do come across the Hansa cities and uh, anti-piracy efforts by the Hansa, Hanseatic League. So I'll, they'll come up again. I'm actually going to mention specific pirates who the Hanseatic League fought. So this will all come up again. Um, but and, yeah. And, and if, if I can interject here too, Travis, we haven't you, talked about this. And I think this is all, it, 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 it really part and parcel of the experience of what it is to be Frisian to a certain extent. Maybe not so much today, but it definitely was. Uh, maybe even a hundred years ago, and before that, were you going to talk the, about was, the the Christianization and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. just Sorry. real briefly. Yeah, cool. Uh, just talk about the you know, the religious aspect of what was going on in this area. Um, you had so much things that were going on in Europe, especially Western Europe, that the Frisians had a, unfortunately a front row seat to. The Napoleonic Wars were won. Right. So you would have people in Frisia trying to do their own thing, and then who would come up? It would be the French. And then it would be the Brits. The Brits would come in and they would take over for a yes, few weeks. Yep. And then and then the the French would take over. I think it was Napoleon the Third might have been the case um, where uh, where Napoleon Bonaparte was actually one of the first that instituted the idea of patronyms. So you know you, right. you, you know to get away from that oh, because what a, was this is a great yeah, story. Yeah. Exactly because because it was so confusing. So in other words, just like you might see like in Russia, if your father was named Michael, then your name was. Uh, you know, Peter Michael, uh, Michael or Mikhailovich. Okay. It was kind of like that sort of thing. And so it was so confusing about who was who. And, and so um, Napoleon kind of brought that in. And I believe it was his nephew that ran this area during the Napoleonic uh, area. Um, And people were forced to have, you know, pick these last names. And some of those names like mine, the Zimmermans, you know, which I think is Carpenter, uh, yeah, in, exactly. Yep. In, in German, um, the uh, Coleman's I might have been close to something that might have been a teacher. Um, you know, so it was uh, these names were picked out. So when you're trying to do genealogy, good luck. All right, there's a certain point where you're like, okay, I can't. <laughs> you know, there's hundreds of thousands of Petersons or or yeah, uh, yeah, it's all over the place. So it makes it very difficult. But we Jensen. talk about. Yeah, the, the, one of the biggest things that happened besides the Napoleonic Wars, we go back even further than that, we talk about you know, the, uh, the uh, Thirty Years' War. All right? We're talking about the, the split between the Catholic Church and the rise of Protestantism. And this really you know, was um, one of the leading areas. I, I think there was something like 74 monasteries in all of Frisia. Maybe more than that. It, it was yeah. something insane. Okay. Maybe yeah. close to 100. So it was very, very Catholic. In the early days, the Catholics would send in uh, missionaries to turn the pagans to Christianity, to, ca- to Catholicism. And they would set these monasteries everywhere, everywhere. Now, you look at it today, it's not a very Catholic country at all. It's, it's Lutheran, mm-hmm. all right? Um, and so what would happen is the, the, they would just go in, and it happened basically overnight. You would have these kind of wealthy, organized towns like Rysum is is a is a town that's in in Austriesland, um, and it was started off as a you know a, a cloister and a, a monastic sort of area. Within a several years after the Reformations, you would have these monks that were kicked out, begging on the street for food and charity from people that you know basically kicked them out because they yeah. were homeless. They had nothing. They they had no place to go. So it was a very sad time in a lot of ways during this, this connection. As we move further, we see that we have the Reformed 
versus the Lutherans. And right. if you look at the churches, you'll see uh, um, a, a great idea to tell you who was Reformed and who was just plain Lutheran. I think it's a swan is actually the weather vane that's on top of these churches meant that they were Reformed, if I'm not mistaken. So there was a schism within the, the Lutheran church that, uh, that people had to pick sides. Now, why is this important to today's Frisians? Well, I think you can see that there's some of this literally teetotaling mm-hmm. <laughs> mentality of, of not going over the top, not being like you might see with the rest of Germany as like, dude, let's, let's do Oktoberfest. We're drinking ourselves to oblivion down in Munich, right? Never, never, never in Friesland. Now, but now, <laughs> now, now there's, some, there's some pretty good beers that came out of those uh, monasteries, though. Absolutely. So. But the tea, the tea society, the, the tea society, the, the tea. Yeah, the reformed uh, were totally against it. Yep. Exactly. It. And, and it was very, very common for ministers to tell people, do not drink beer anymore. Beer is going to lead you down the, the sinful path. Drink more tea. <laughs> drink drink yep. more tea will be good. So seriously, you would drink black tea in the morning to wake you up at four in the morning before you went out and did your stuff with peat farming or with the, the animals. And then you would come back and drink another pot of tea. And that would be something that wouldn't have a lot of ceremony. But at high noon or at high tea time um, during the course of the day when you're getting a little tired – you would have people come over, and I actually had to experience that when I went on this tour of Ostfriesland this year. Um, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance with this, all right? What you serve, the kind of the sweets that you eat with it, and how you pour your your um, milk into the tea is very unique sort of way of doing it with a spoon and, and putting it oh, in okay. with and so huh. that when you dip the, the sugar cube into it, it has a sort of a hissing sound to it all, and that's when you know you did it right. Um, huh. And so... It's something that uh, my Coleman's in America didn't really follow up with, but I'm sure their ancestors did. And um, it it makes sense. I mean, the tea coming through the port of Amsterdam is not far, far away. Right. And that would make sense that that would be easier to get a hold of at at times. And so this is a very highly tea-oriented society in Frisia that has a lot to do with maybe the puritanical (laughs) sort of viewpoint of of um, you know, making sure that you're not going to be breeding alcoholics uh, because of the, the very strict Lutheran background. Um, so it kind of does go hand in hand, at least from my perspective. And it's kind of a neat thing to kind of see that is uh, very different from the rest of Germany. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that sounds a lot more Dutch to me. Like I'll, I'll kind of touch on some of that stuff a lot when I, I – I'll do a – yeah, I don't know if I'll – it'll be later – because I want to do like history of Switzerland, history of Austria, history of, uh, but then I'll do history of Netherlands to some degree and probably not do it justice. But yeah, that's that because that this sounds like you're describing Holland, you know, the, or the Netherlands a lot to me too. Like I have a friend it feels family. Like it. it feels yeah. like it. Yeah, like out, out, they're out in Middleburg. They're the opposite, like complete western end of of Holland, but still like very proper with their breakfast, with their meals, with their. Um, there's definitely afternoon coffee or tea, you know, and dessert. And, uh, oh yeah. And it's, it's that, that same society. They actually, well, you know, they it, took it, me to, uh, they, sorry, they, they took me to one of the churches, um, like on a Sunday to worship. Like they actually took me to one of the churches right in the middle of the town in the highest point of Middleburg, which used to be an Island. Now it's a peninsula. I think I brought this up before elsewhere somewhere. Um, but, uh, it was built round because they didn't want, they distinctly wanted it to be not Catholic. And originally they had the 
um, pastor or preacher or whatever you call him. And it's not Lutheran in their case. I guess it was Calvinist. Um, is that it's right? Very possible. In, sure. Cal- yeah, in, yeah, John, yeah. John Calvin. In, right? in, in, in Holland, I think it was more of uh, Calvinist than Lutheran. But anyways, you know, very similar, totally comparable um, in any case. And, um, you know, they, they had the pastor or preacher in the middle of this round building, very nicely done, stone, stone building, brick building. Um, on the highest point in the middle of the town, all, all streets kind of, you know, you can see the, the round church from far away from many, many vantage points from several canals away, you know, and, um, and, but then they found out that when they started doing that, that they're like, oh, you know what? This sucks because half the congregation is always behind the pastor and they can't really hear what he's saying. Or the pastor's just like turning around in circles the whole time, you know? <laughs> so like, ah, screw it. So they, you know, they put the podium in the front or they, you know, they call it, they're like, okay, that's going to be the front. And they, they put the podium in the front and then, um, uh, you know, they ended up doing the Catholic thing in the end to the degree where they would even, they would even, uh, bury the dead beneath the floor stones, you know, and oh, sure. it, yeah. it was a totally Catholic church in the end. And they had the, the wealthier would be up on the, um, they had balconies and the poorer would be down below and, and not so much the wealthier poor, but the very pious would show up first and get the balcony seats and they'd be able to see who's showing up for Sunday service and who doesn't, you know, like, like very, very, uh, I don't want to say Puritan, but very reformed, you know, church and trying to do everything different and even different than the Lutherans. And, you know, yeah, interesting stuff, like really different, like very unique and very strong culture that well, is you, very different from, you know, I grew up in Bavaria, which is a stark yes, very, contrast. Yes, very different, stark contrast. I, I, had a, I had a crucifix in every one of my classroom rooms, you know, until <laughs> until I moved until high school, until I moved away. There was a crucifix in every room. Some teachers would say the Lord's Prayer, you know, and then cross themselves, you know, the whole class would cross themselves afterwards. That would not fly in East Frisia, you know. So and, oh, yeah. that's the thing. We we spend a lot of time on East Frisian or Ost Friesland. Um, you know, Frisia is a lot bigger than that, of course. But um, you know, it, it that's uh, that a very that wouldn't fly in Prussia. That wouldn't fly in um, Netherlands. That wouldn't fly in in uh, Cologne or Hamburg right. or you right. know, so Berlin because of Prussia. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're talking about Frisia, but yeah, there's definitely a north south divide that you could you could have a lot of you know have a lot of generalities about so, those so I, th- of things. I think i think that for our listeners you know on your show here travis that it, it what this does is it probably gives you a greater idea behind all the uh very not nice jokes about frisians and ostfriesland um because uh, what, what it is is that it's a very different group of people a very different um uh, geography a very different thought or feel to Germany that just that people have a hard time connecting with as part of part of the you know um, uh, the German family and uh, it is different and I would say that instead of making fun of it I'd say celebrate it <laughs> but um, if you get a chance to go to some of these great cities and uh, they're not great as far as size they're great as far as uh, you know nice day trips to make um, uh, Lair, uh, Auric, um, Emden, um, and I was mistaken. I said Auric was. I think there was some bombing there during World War II, but mostly it was Emden because it was, oh, I think, right. a, a big car manufacturer at the time yeah, for the Emden, Nazis. Emden is much more industrial, for sure, and that was yeah. completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. But yet there today, it's a nice little town. 
um, and is a great museum in Emden that talks about Frisian history that goes back to the Paleo Paleolithic period um, all the way through the, the points we talked about today. Um, you have to see that. It's actually quite amazing. And they have a great art exhibit of great Frisian artists that are, are, are amazing in their own right. Um, that if you haven't really seen them in, in some of these great places of uh, museums in Europe, um, you can at least see uh, some of that. Uh, and um, it's just amazing stuff. So I, I you know, to kind of su summation of what I experienced there, um, I'll never forget it. I think uh, I definitely understand why my family, the Coleman's, uh, came to the United States because of, of uh, the crop blight that they had, just like they had in Ireland. Um, the, uh, the the wars, uh, the the revolution between the, the German states before it became unified. There was a, there was just a lot of problems that forced a lot of Germans to the New World, uh, and I can see that it looked a little bit like Southern Illinois along the Mississippi River, uh -huh. and yeah. the, that that area in the United States, no one wanted it. You, it was prairie land you couldn't really do anything with, except the Frisians knew what to do. Because they had the same crappy land. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, we, they're like, we got and, this. And so it yeah. flooded, no big deal. This is what we live. We live with this. Yeah. So they knew how to make they knew how to make uh, lemonade out of lemons and uh, in the states, and um, they really you know really changed the culture of the United States, Germans as a whole, and uh, part of this massive migration in the 1840s and 50s and 60s, um, a lot of them came from Frisia. Uh, through Bremerhaven and then on to the United States. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a, an amazing story. It's a, a freedom of a people trying to have their own autonomy. It's also a sad story of what they had to leave behind because unlike today, when you left, you didn't come back. It was too expensive. Yeah. It, it, the trip was was wrought, wrought with, with disaster. On a quick note, Travis, you know, on this, I'm amazed at, at my great, great, great grandparents, uh, uh, Reinhardt and um, um, uh, Anna Margarita, that left in 1856, 1857. They left with three kids, and two of them died on the journey. Oh, you know, so yeah, so right. you're, you're talking about they yeah. lost almost everything uh, coming through New Orleans and then on to St. Louis and Southern Illinois, and. You know, um, you talk about having, you know, either a, a strong belief in God to get you through it, uh, which well, from what I, I read that they had, um, but just the, the fortitude. And yeah. uh, uh, that really is an amazing thing to, to, to have read and found out about uh, doing my genealogical research of my Frisian background. Yeah, no, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll get back to the Frisians now and then. We'll come across them when the Franks conquer them, when... Um, they, what, oh, and, and, you know, like I said, when I, when I do comparisons, cause this way I can kind of shorten my history of the Netherlands miniseries by just comparing things to the Frisians and say, Hey, go listen to that episode. Um, so I'll mention them again now and then. Um, but otherwise that's, that's pretty much it for, uh, the Frisians on the history of Germany podcast. If you liked what you heard, then, you know, there's many more episodes out there. And we'll continue next time with, I might, I might, uh, I might have you on the show again. You know what the next thing I might do, what I'm thinking about sure. is um, German spa towns. And the reason oh, I might have you on like the show. Like Calavari, right? Exactly right. I want to actually use Carlsbad or Kalovivari as the prime example of that kind of, and that's in today's Czech Republic. 
So, but there's a lot of, there's obviously a lot of, a lot of examples. Um, the thing that people might not realize is why would we talk about like basically Roman baths kind of, you know, but some, some, some are much more modern and they, um, some are from Roman times, but others, you know, are from the 19th century or whatever. And that's because the whole, um, health spa sort of recovery, not, not necessarily rehab sort of thing, but just like, um, like, like health insurance to this day in Germany covers it. If you, you can just say, Hey, work is really stressing me out. And they're like, yeah, you know what? Go have a cure. Like it's almost sounds like cure, you know, go get cured. And cure is the German word for, you know, go, go to a spa town for a week and come back when you're fit. You know, yeah. Well, so you know, and, that's and, the one thing. And health insurance it, pays for that. Like that's a very German idea. And so I wanted to like, okay, this is actually German. This is actually so German, German <laughs> enough that I'm going to do a show on it. Like I'll talk about Kua, about these spa towns in Germany. That sounds so, like a great show. I and we might definitely have to re, you know re re uh, uh, air that with the Bohemian podcast because you know we have. I, yeah, it's I, a definitely spa could, culture down here. Yep, you could edit it differently and and air it on Bohemian. It would it would apply just as much. Um, another one I want to mention is uh, this is these are all spoilers here, listeners. Sorry, but um, because the Czech Republic, they have one of them is uh, the old uranium mines, and you actually go down into these radioactive mines, and they're also you know. Um, salt mines is another common place because it's just very dry. So it, it, okay, but I want to throw this out to you. This they, is they now, give now, you some water oh, with uranium poison in it. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I should say I do not <laughs> condone this. I do not like um, any any of these health treatments. I'm not like saying you know I'm not recommending any of these. I I'm not a physician. I'm not <laughs> I'm not qualified. Um, salt salt mines. I don't know if it has any effect or not. Uranium mines. I'm pretty sure is actually bad for you. I'm pretty sure that'll actually give you cancer. Um, right. I don't know, but so so. <laughs> hey, if you want to hear more about that, stay tuned next episode. And I'm not sure if you'll just come in for the Bohemian for the uh, check parts, or you'll be here all show. But um, you know, we'll we'll leave it as a surprise. Listeners will have to come back and find out. Um, besides that, we have a lot going on. We we recently recorded an episode to kind of give everybody a preview of what's coming up in 2016. So I I think I'll air that on here. all our I'll, shows on I'll, on all our amazing yeah, shows. Yeah, I think have. I'll yeah. air it here too. Definitely I'll air it on History of Alchemy. We talk a lot about that. Um, what's coming down 2016? Um, what else, Pete? Your YouTube stuff. Well, yeah, right? I, I want to mention the YouTube thing because yeah. when I was in East Frisia, I did um, some video for you and your your show, Travis, on the history of Germany uh, about some of the places we talked about uh, from Emden to Reisum to um, uh, small towns of, of Strakholt or Fierl, uh, Auric. Um, I did some stand-ups there to kind of talk more about uh, what life was like as well as just some imagery of, of the areas that we kind of talked about tonight on your show. So hopefully uh, that can be up there pretty soon and I'll put that also on the Bohemian YouTube channel and uh, so that everybody yeah. can see that. So I'll let you know when, when that's up and ready. Yeah, when that happens, I'll I'll tweet it out. I'll put it on Facebook. You know, the nor- nor- usual channels where you can find me. Um, but I will also update the show notes of this episode. So whenever that is in a month or two, or whenever that happens, uh, just check back by the History of Germany or Bohemian.com. And you know, if you look up Frisian Freedoms, then you'll I'll have a link, or I'll probably even have that video embedded in the same post so you can you know where you'll where this episode is you'll see that video too so but yeah there's it you know there's some good bohemian videos out there there's a history of alchemy one out there uh there's no history of germany uh videos yet 
I don't know if there will be. I, I don't want to make any promises. But um, yeah, if you want to watch some videos and actually see some of the places we talk about, um, the Czech Republic is very German. Can I say that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so stay tuned for all that. Go. Some of those are out there on, on YouTube right now. The Bohemian YouTube channel is what you're searching for. Um, there's links everywhere, links on PodcastNick, links on uh, historyofgermanypodcast.com, bohemian.com. So, yep, go there, check it out. Uh, stay tuned. Buy T-shirts. I, I'm kind of kidding, but someone someone did, so thank you very much. Uh, there's a... There's a you could you can go look at um, Bohemian and Alchemy uh, T-shirts, and um, yeah, hey, come say hi on Twitter and Facebook, and thank you very much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.